All right, uh, hello, welcome everyone. This is a non-breaking space show. It's a show where we uh, seek out the best and brightest of the web and ask them um, how they do what they do. And uh, their hosts are usually myself, I'm Christopher Schmidt, I'm the author of HTML5, uh, co-author of the HTML5 cookbook and also author of the CSS uh, cookbook. Also, um, uh, one of the partners in crime at Environments for Humans, we do a whole bunch of online summits, like CSS summit, uh, uh, we just did uh, we just did three of them back to back, right? Yeah, yeah. It's been a big blur this past week or so, but we just did UX Web Accessibility and Content Strategy Summits last week, so it's been kind of a blur. Uh, and also, uh, usually my co-host is Dave McFarland, who's also an author and designer, and uh, he authors uh, the Missing Manuals, uh, JavaScript Missing Manual, CSS Missing Manual. I I always try to make a joke that he knows where the bodies are buried with the Missing Manuals, but it never really pay, pays off very well in the podcast. So. Um, also, we usually have our Chris from Canada, who's our producer, who keeps us on track. And uh, they can't be with us today uh, just because of technical uh, limitations of where we are. But uh, but they're here in spirit, and they're, hopefully they're watching us streaming live at the. Uh, uh, where are we even streaming live, by the way? On matchstyle.com. Thank you so much. So uh, uh, so yeah. So hopefully people can watch us there. So uh, uh, our guest today is uh, Gina Bolton. Uh, Gina is an interactive designer and artist working and residing in Silicon Valley. Uh, she's currently the product designer for Dew. Uh, D-O, by the way, not Mountain Dew. Uh, <laughs> she uh, co-authored Art and Science at CSS. Uh, she's uh, consulted various agencies, including the W3C Web Accessibility Initiative and uh, mess.gov. Uh, she holds a BFA in Computer Arts and Graphic Design from Memphis College of Art. She enjoys traveling and learning Italian. Uh, her website can be found at Googling Sushi and Robots. And um, like I said, Dave and uh, Chris can't be here. Um, and we're coming live, again, streaming live from the Challenger Learning Center in Tallahassee, Florida, uh, specifically the planetarium of the Challenger Learning Center. So um, I'm very ha uh, happy to tell you that, uh, uh, that you guys are in Tallahassee because uh, uh, when Gene told me that he was doing Refresh Florida. He said he gave me a call. I was like, Chris, gotta let you know about something. I was like, hey, what? You know, like, uh, I know you guys. You know, you guys, you guys do in control uh, in Orlando. We want to bring the show to uh, Florida. I just want to make sure that's okay and everything like that. It's like, oh, that's that's totally cool, dude. That's awesome. I love Converge uh, SE, which is in South Carolina, right? And it's like, so where, where are you gonna have Converge Florida? It's like, oh, we're gonna have in Tallahassee. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So you're calling to asked me to come speak at Converge Florida because you know that's my hometown and and that's where I got started in web design and you're really calling it it's like uh, yeah yeah I'm totally doing that yeah so and you're, you're calling let me check the schedule to make sure I'm free that day so that you're like so what days are you looking at and like so we the whole thing so I'm really happy yeah it's just give a round of applause to uh, Gene and the whole crew for putting on and so for putting that on really happy about that um, and also excited for our guest today. Uh, let's give a round of applause for Gina Bolton. Thanks for coming. No problem. Cool. So how many people have heard the Non-Breaking Space show before? Oh, wow, awesome, cool. Thanks. Uh, so if you want to know more about it, check it out at nonbreakingspace.tv. So has Gina Bolton actually seen that show before? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's a show where we just talk about puppies and cats. Awesome. Sounds Actually, like a good show. show yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, um, so I talked like a little bit about the intro, like we talked a little bit about you, about mm -hmm. product designer at 
Do? What does do do? <laughs> I've not heard that before. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we're a social productivity application for small teams. Um, we are growing to larger teams too. Um, you know, task management, project management. Um, we are rolling out with a CRM as well. Um, lots of other cool features coming up. So yeah, it's just a really cool app for doing work with cool people. <laughs> well, like, how did you get started? Because like, I got started with design at Florida State University, which is like stones throw away from here. Mm -hmm. But how did you get started doing web? And um, well, so I always was into design and drawing, and I thought I was going to go into graphic design, like print and advertising. Um, well, what, what made you decide to go into print and advertising? Uh, somebody came and spoke at our school and said oh, wow. they made six figures doing graphic design, <laughs> and I was like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, that person was super famous, so. <laughs> but no, I just, I, I knew I wanted to do something creative and my dad used to tell me that I needed to stop focusing on art cause I would never get paid mm -hmm. and that I should focus on science and math and all that. But I wanted to do something creative mm -hmm. and I was pretty excited to see that there actually was a career mm -hmm. in the creative field. And so that's kind of where I thought I was going to go. Um, but on this. I guess on the side, I was doing HTML just as a hobby. And my, well, how did you pick up HTML? Like, what would you learn about my, it? So my dad was playing around with, um, a long time ago, there was this thing called, I think it was like AOL home site or press or it was some name like that. It was an America Online thing where you could just push up web pages. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I can put up on a page on the internet and people will see it. And... Um, I didn't really put two and two together and realize like that could be combined with design. It was just really more of like right. me putting up garbage fan photos <laughs> and <laughs> you know collecting animated gifts and right. stuff like that. Um, but then when I went to school, I started. I, I kind of had to pay for myself to go through school. Mm -hmm. And so what I, school is this? Uh, Memphis College of Art. Okay. And so I started just doing websites for like local bands. There mm -hmm. were a lot of rock bands in Memphis. And then at some point, it just kind of dawned on me. I was like, wait, wait, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm right. going to make websites. Right. <laughs> right. And, and like that was a, a new industry, right? So like. Yeah, like, I, you know, I know there have been people like Zeldman that have been around okay. doing it. But for me, like, I, I just didn't really think about it as a job opportunity. But right. then once it kind of it became clear that that was what I wanted to do, I just never looked back and. And of course, now I'm kind of getting into some like software and mobile stuff too. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, because like um, when I was I was in school doing for print design and going to learn graphic design, mm -hmm. and I was just showing the teacher like my my, my mentor in college for design like the web and what stuff to do, and showed her some pages I made, and she's like, "Hey, Chris, like like you should do web design." And I looked at her, I was like, "What the heck is web design? <laughs> I have no idea what that is." And yeah. yeah, the funny thing is, I remember in undergrad. Um, you know, being really excited about doing web design. And at the time in that program, mm -hmm. I think I might have been the only one yeah. that was interested in web. Everyone else wanted to work at these design and advertising firms. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like it wasn't considered a valid mm -hmm. form of design. And I remember some of the teachers just kind of pushing that aside, like, no, no, you know, that's not really what we're focused on. And now they're, like, growing that program. And yeah. everybody's attending that school now to learn web, right. so it's completely changed. 
Yeah, so was there actually like, so you went to a design program, right? Yeah, so I, I kind of did a double major because I, I started in the graphic design program. Mm. And then they had this major called computer arts that mm. was like an all-encompassing umbrella of video, flash, e- even shockwave. Yeah, <laughs> uh, let me think. Um, How many people know what shockwave is? <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah, right. so I had to play around with director and yes. uh, some motion graphics stuff. It was all sorts of different stuff. But they only really had one web design class. Okay. Um, if you didn't count the flash class and all that. And then uh, they had a graduate level web design class. So I was able to get permission to take that one as well. Um, so I got like all my requirements for that and I still had some electives left over. Right. So I just kind of picked the graphic design path back up and completed those requirements. So um, I got sort of both interests completed. Um, but yeah, like they, it, it's just funny, like the, the computer arts program was just like this huge collection of different things and now I think schools are finally starting to separate those things out as separate right. majors. <laughs> yeah. So I also, I'm not sure if this is the same degree or it's not, but I recently, like, or maybe a year or two ago, you went back to school, is that right? Yeah, so I was, um, I'm really interested in uh, teaching later down mm-hmm. the road and some schools require a graduate level degree, right. um, you know, to even have a part-time job there as right. a teacher and so I decided to go to grad school to kind of get that piece of paper to right. uh, allow me to be able to teach down the road. Um, I I have all my classes completed. I just have to get my thesis passed, and then I'm well, done. What is your thesis? Uh, so the way the program works is instead of writing a big paper dissertation, right. you actually create a product right. and write about you know your design process of that product. Right. Um, so I was working on an app for sushi enthusiasts. <laughs> <laughs> I really like sushi, and it was just sort of an excuse to kind of try making a mobile app, um, you know, by myself. But um, you know, I was approved to get uh, developer uh, developer help, okay. and so I didn't have to do everything right. by myself. But just focusing on the UX and the interaction of it and the way it looks. So we're going to school for that. The reason why I'm asking is just because I just want to know what your, uh, you know, your you already know what web development or your mm-hmm. your your you know. Probably, no. I'm going to say you're famous a little bit, and that uh, you already know the, the skill set, so you're going back to get, uh, you know, a, a, a grad degree. Right. How was going to back to school? Were they that what you were taught at the level that you knew the industry was, or was it below, or was it higher, or where was it? Um. So, I I was a little nervous when I first enrolled, um, and. I, I just kind of didn't want to be that kid in class that's like, well, actually, because mm-hmm. you know, that would be really annoying. Yeah. Um, and that I didn't really know what to expect. Like, um, there were some classes that would be new stuff for me. And right. so um, I just kind of sat quietly in class. And right. the first classes they made, uh, made me take was the principles of usability. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I hadn't really done a whole lot of usability testing before. And so that was actually kind of cool that I, um, you know, had to start kind of thinking about usability testing and user research. And it was when we had to start, t- uh, they waved me out of the HTML class, oh, so wow, I didn't really? have to take oh, that. Okay. <laughs> um, I was actually devastated that they waved me out of the typography class because oh, I really right. wanted to take yeah. typography. I love typography, but yeah. they highly advised that I not take it. Oh, really? Oh. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> but um, 
I did have to take a couple classes where I just sort of sat quietly and mm. um, just did the work. Yeah. Uh, a girl that was in my class that um, was reading some article or something by Andy Clark, mm. and I guess he had mentioned me. Yeah. And in class, she blurted out, like, you Oh, you're Gina. And I was just like, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> You've ruined my cover. <laughs> yeah, so, so, like, so, so, so there's some courses that were like new to you. Some yeah. Other courses were like, all right. All yeah, right, actually, right. I, I did have to take some motion graphic and flash classes uh, through the grad program as well. So, right. that stuff, I'm not good with timeline based apps. Yeah. Like, think. Whether it's video, motion graphics, flash, right. like anything that's on a timeline, I'm just not good thinking that way. Right. Um, so those I kind of did mediocre. Right. <laughs> but well, since you're still waiting for your degree, I won't tell you. I won't add, probe you more about the state of, edu of education at traditional <laughs> institutions. And we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll follow that back up after you're okay. But I, I will say this: I was impressed that there is a a, a focus on usability there. Yeah. Like, oh, and that was at Academy of Art. I forgot to mention did you, that. Did you yeah. have eye tracking in your lab? They they have this cool. crazy app that does all sorts of stuff. It's okay. like eye tracking, and it records uh, the person as they're cl clicking on stuff. Yeah, they have like a full usability. There's at least usability I, I know of at least twelve in Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, call back to an earlier show. Okay. Uh, so. Cool. So, um, yeah. So I'm gonna change things up, but if there's yeah. any questions in the audience, just raise your hand, and I'll try to get to them. But uh, are there any questions right now? Okay. Awesome. But um, I want to talk about SAS. Yeah. You, yeah. Like, uh, are you on the Are you on Team SAS? Is that what it so is? So I think there's or? like some people um, asked me about this before. They think I'm on the official SAS team, and that's not actually uh, the case. I'm actually volunteering um, to help redesign the website, and uh, Berman Painters also. Uh, in that task force, he did a workshop today. Well, um, could you define like what is SAS? For sure, uh, SAS is a CSS preprocessor, um, the better one, and <laughs> it uh, it just allows you to write CSS more um, in a more organized and clean way. And if you're doing it right, you can have a cleaner output. And well, like like what would be the benefits of using SAS over generic CSS? I guess. Well, just. A huge thing is just the repetition. Um, one of the big, one of the big things in the Ruby community, and I guess some other developer communities, is the whole dry development thing. Don't repeat yourself. And when you're using things like SAS, um, there's less repetition in writing the same things over and over again. Right. Um, so that's a huge thing. But it also can just help you with stuff like um, generating colors, um, doing functions that help you generate grids that are fluid, like you don't have to worry about the math because it helps do all that stuff for you. Right. It's just a lot of cool, powerful tools there. So it kind of like abstracts out CSS a little more. Yeah, yeah. So in the, I think uh, it has variables, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. variables are actually what sold it for me. Yeah. Just, you know, if you have the same color blue being used in a couple different places, it's nice that you just have one place to define what that hex value is. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and then also like uh, the whole mix up with uh, vendor pre prefixes, right? Yeah, so. like it can definitely help um, where if you're using mixins, especially if you're using Compass, mm -hmm. um, you don't have to worry about you know all the different prefixes because it can help you. So what, and what's Compass? Oh, don't sure. Yeah. Uh, so Compass is a framework that's built on top of SAS, and so some of the common mixins you might find yourself doing, maybe it's like gradient. 
um, like the long string of gradient uh, styles, there are all these pre-written mix-ins um, that can do that for you. Mm. And um, it's also got some really cool helper tools. Like it'll do a, it'll generate a grid on your page using CSS gradients and you just pass in like, I want the grid to be this wide and this color and it just, there it is. Right. It does a lot of cool stuff for you. Yeah. And so uh, a mix-in, I guess, is kind of this comp kind of easy idea, but it took me a while to learn. Now I guess mastered it, if you will. Right. I don't think I've ever mastered mix-ins yet, but uh, <laughs> but it's just you you have a, a pre-formatted type of output that you can just store in variables and just say you can just pass on variables like a function, yeah. if you will, right? And and you don't even have have to pass in a variable. It could just be like maybe the clear fix is something you're using a lot. You can write a mix-in for it. Of course, I, I actually prefer to use Extend, which you can tell about after the Mixins thing. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, the great thing that makes Mixins powerful is that you can pass in variables. Okay. So if you have a certain style and you want to call on that Mixin, but you want to change maybe the border color but keep everything else the same, then you just kind of pass that through. Right. It's really nice. Right, so you can just set default colors. Exactly, and then, but, yeah. But then you can just like, hey, at this point in time, uh, use the same piece of code, but instead of just... You know, Pass like a variable, if you will, in right. JavaScript. Say, it's like a little override, override. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. And then, mm -hmm. um, uh, but you don't need to use Ruby, right? You can just use like CodeKit. No, not at all. Like, like I, I'm not a Ruby developer by any means. I've worked around Ruby on Rails apps and right. Sinatra apps and um, even a Merb app. Those are all different flavors of Ruby um, uh, frameworks. But I just stay in the view layer, which is just, you know, the presentation. And... Um, it doesn't even have to be in a Ruby app. You could, you could just be making a static HTML website. Mm -hmm. um, there's all these tools out there like CodeKit and Live Reload, Scout, Compass app. There's all these tools that basically you don't have to open up the command line. You don't have to program anything and you just like launch it up, tell it where your files are and it does it all for you and right. you're good to go. Right, and CodeKit is awesome because you can just say, hey, use SAS. Yeah. And, um, It'll also refresh the browser automatically for you, so you don't have to like yeah, refresh. And, and um, that's really handy too. If um, I'm a constant, I had this habit of constantly reloading. Even if I already know what it's going to look like, I just reload, reload, reload. Right. And it's nice that I don't have to manually do that. It just does it. Especially right. I have like two monitors, okay. so I can like code over here and just see the effect over here. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, how many people here use SAS? Okay. How many people don't know about SAS at all? Or when, before today. Okay, awesome. Yeah, definitely it's check it out. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the software application if you use Mac is uh, CodeKit, and it's just it's like twenty bucks, twenty five bucks. I don't know how much it is. Yeah. But it's totally worth every penny. But yeah. But yeah so so and what is to so Team SAS, if you will? Is right. So uh, so there was um a while back there was some back and forth on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, you know. Everybody kind of gets a little religious about like SAS versus less, and and, with, and less is sort of less is an alternative uh, CSS preprocessor. Mm -hmm. It's very similar in a lot of ways. Um, doesn't have all of the feature capabilities mm -hmm. that SAS has, but there is a, a strong camp for less. And so it's always kind of funny. Like once anybody mentions anything about SAS or less, then you always get that little battle back and forth right. between the two camps, and. Um, just one day, the, the hashtag Team SAS kind of came about. Mm -hmm. And um, so when, uh, so Christopher Schmidt, uh, sorry, Christopher oh, sorry. Schmidt. Oh, what, Christopher, what? yeah, Christopher Epstein, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it 
<laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> so Christopher Epstein, um, he's actually the guy behind Compass, and he's also on um, the the SaaS core developer group. And he was venting his frustrations on Twitter about how designers weren't interested in open source volunteering, and he's like trying to make the case that open source volunteering isn't spec work. And all these people were like, hey, I'll work on it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And I was one of those people. Um, so we ended up putting together a task force to work on it. And I decided Team SAS Design would be a fun name for it. Um, so if you're interested, you can follow on Twitter, Team SAS Design. It's also a Tumblr. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's... Our goal, I think, is December 1st, we'll have a new SaaS website. Okay, awesome, December 1st. Yeah, here so her, her first. that's what that's our goal. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> yeah, because like, I'm glad you guys are doing that, because uh, we, you know, we, we do the CSS Summit, right? So we've been right. doing that for four years now, and we have Chris Epstein mm-hmm. talk for the last, now he's, three years. He's so awesome. He's awesome, but like, yeah. and I would, you know, he said like, hey, I want to talk about SaaS and, and you know, and Compass, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, let me learn more about this, and I was like, you know, three years ago, or whatever. Right. And I went to the SAS website. I was like, I have no idea what's going on here. Yeah, I have it's, no idea. It's it's speaking a whole different language, but at the same time, there's like mention of CSS, so it's sort of right. talking to me, but it's not. You know. It was. I mean, it was created. the The website and documentation was created by developers, and um, the focus, I guess, like even the language being used, is very developer centric. Mm-hmm. And the the thing about like. People choosing less versus SaaS, I think there's this perception that less is easier. And a lot of that just has to do with how they position themselves on their site mm-hmm. and how the site looks and the language they use. And in reality, SaaS is just as easy. Mm-hmm. It just has a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I think SaaS shows the lot more right. up front very quickly. And so, you know, people are like, whoa, I don't know if this is a lot. And so our goal is to show that. Yeah, it's way more powerful, but it's also just as easy. Right. Um, so that's our like our huge number one goal with the new right. SaaS site. Yeah, I think Chris Coyer also has a uh, less versus SaaS blog post where yeah. he mentions like like why he kind of picks it and he, like he goes through a whole like he just really takes it apart in terms of like right. why he uses SaaS. So um, so we'll just avoid the whole <laughs> argument right now. So right. We'll just go point to Chris and Coyer and have him deal with that. <laughs> good good thinking, Chris. Yeah. Um, Cool. And um, so you work at at do. And I so, do. So, <laughs> uh, what type of projects? Yeah, like yeah, social. Yeah. So um, we have we have a web app uh, which you know has the tasks and project man uh, project management um, contacts deals. Like if you're trying to, and deals sounds very salesy, but like maybe it's just managing like projects that have money attached to it, you can actually create tasks that work towards those numbers you're looking for. Um, so it's pretty cool. Um, we also have an Android app um, and an iPhone app. And so right now I'm actually focused on the Android app, which is really interesting for me because you know, I'm, I'm an Apple girl all the way. <laughs> but um, it's an interesting challenge. Like The Android UI patterns and the environment is so different and in a lot of ways I find them more confusing but in a lot of ways I think they make sense for what it is. Like which areas make more sense? Well um, so they have they have a very strict convention with the way their their header um, the back function 
And Apple, Apple kind of goes with this more like drill down effect. Um, most most apps, unless you're doing a completely unique, different app. But if you're using the typical UI convention, if you, you're typically going with a drill down. Mm -hmm. And Android is very big on making as many things as possible on the top layer accessible. And you can still have a little bit of that drill down. But if you can drill down to do it, then you should be able to do it on the top level too. So there's all these different, like there's a long press you can do to bring up this contextual menu. There's actual hardware menus that you interact with where on the iPhone it's like all on screen. Mm -hmm. And so there's just different things to think about. And at first I was like, this is all stupid. Why would they do it this way? But I ended up buying um, an Android to use for testing mm -hmm. and started using it um, you know, alongside my iPhone. And I realized there are certain things that do make a lot of sense. Right. And it's not until you're kind of using it that you see that. So you're building like a native Android app? It's native, yeah. So, so, this so which, is, which version of Android are you, are you guys? So we have a bunch of different Android devices at right. work. The one I have has Jelly Bean mm -hmm. on it. It's the, um, the Samsung Galaxy. Um, right now I kind of use it as a tethering device. <laughs> so that's pretty handy. So we're on AT&T, right? I am on AT&T. There you go, I that one right there. Yeah, I'm afraid to switch to tethering because I'm grandfathered into the unlimited data plan. And yeah. if I switch, I lose that. Right. <laughs> Well, they, they yeah. capped it at three gigs, right? So, yeah. Like, yay. I'm going to right? So, yeah. We'll yeah. have a beer later and talk about it. Yeah, so that's kind of what I'm working on right now is the Android app. And I, I worked on the, the marketing website a little mm -hmm. while back. And then whenever, um, sometimes I'll jump over to the iPhone app. Sometimes I'm working on the web app. So there's a lot of different things um, to work so, on. So I guess you guys are targeting, targeting the Jelly Bean version of Android? Or is it just oh, like have um, like... We, like, like because yeah, so from, from what I, I'm not a big Android user, I have a couple of Android devices, mostly like the Kindle, instead of just for testing. But right. I don't really have like an Android phone per se. Yeah. So, like, how how do you? And from what I've gathered, there's like a lot of fragmentation with Android. There is. So it's, like, and so how would you build an app that would target all those? So parts? we decided, I think Gingerbread is the lowest we're caring about anything before that. And Gingerbread is. Gingerbread was the one that was out before Ice Cream Sandwich. They're okay. all like. Sweets names yeah. like jelly bean, ice cream sandwich, gingerbread. I forgot what it was before that, but Froyo, yeah, Froyo. <laughs> um, but yeah, we decided gingerbread was the earliest version we're gonna account for. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know if, um, it, it, I'm curious if anyone is working on an Android app or has worked on an Android anyone app. Here? Anyone? It's okay. so different. Every device has a different resolution, a different size, um, and it's not pixel-based. It's like a, they use the, these units that are kind of a, a relative unit. That's, that, so you, you have to kind of think not like, I want this to be 64 pixels tall, but more of like, I want this to be flexible and fill this, you know, this much um, but certain devices might be shorter, so you have to kind of make things more scalable and flexible. Yeah, because the value of Pixel, uh, as defined by the W3C, has changed. Yeah. Because one, um, if I get it right, it's like Pixel used to be like this A actual, dot. <laughs> this actual dot that you guys should measure, right. but then it's actually changed to almost like a retina kind of uh, exposure, where like uh, how you, how I hold a phone, like how I look at a desktop, is like 28 inches, so a Pixel might be 196 of an inch. But yeah. then you have like you know maybe a big billboard visual thing whatever. So the pixel is actually like this humongous like yeah. five times as big as that. So it's so it's all relative now. 
different than that. So right, and you have to kind of like if you're making assets with the iPhone, you pretty much have two different sizes of assets, and one is two times as big yeah. as the other. So that's easy math. But with Android, you have like I think it's like three different ones, and they're all relative units. They're right. not fixed units. So you have to make your assets like. Very differently. <laughs> so, so like, like, do you, do you make one version of it, or do you have to make? So I, I kind of make it at the largest size first, yeah. and then um, I'm. So this is my first Android app I'm working on, so I'm still learning it. But I kind of I know like the like an icon size. I have my 64 DP and my 32 DP and my uh, 24 DP, and those you know are kind of like. I, I'm doing them at pixels, and then I just look at it, and if it looks blurry, then I'm like, okay, maybe I need to make it a little bigger because it's it's being the way it's being said. It's not like a fixed pixel. It, it's really hard to just like explain it. <laughs> well, well, let's let's like like uh, so you're working on phones, but you're still work on web right. stuff too. Yeah. So let's just take a step back and say like, uh, you know, um, one thing like we've been talking about non breaking space, Joe, and also been doing research on this is is that uh, you know, for web design that we we've, we've been in for several years now is is that we've we told everyone like, "Hey, we actually we don't care about browsers. We'll design for all browsers. Uh, we don't care about you know, Windows versus Mac." Right. And we kind of have like this idea that, like, "Hey, we're Windows agnostic, or you know, we're OS agnostic." Or, mm -hmm. but it's, it was like a, kind of a white lie that we tell each other, like you know, because we still had the 960 grid, right? Right. And so we we assumed people would be surfing on desktops, right? And then we still saved images, and then another thing is I've saved images at 72 DPI, right, mm -hmm. or PPI, or whatever. And so those two things are gone. Right. right, like it's like now we're truly like, oh yeah, now we really are agnostic, yeah. and then we have to like build several things, you know, uh, several resolution images and stuff like that. So, um, and it sounds like it's a lot more work, right? It is a lot more work, and I think that's why there's this whole um, push towards um, UI libraries versus static comps, mm -hmm. and it's well, what's a static UI like UI library? Where? Well, like. Um, like in my case for Android, I, I don't, it's not an HTML and CSS app. It's a, some sort of Java thing or some, I don't even know what it is. But I can't just get in there and, and prototype it or mock it up. Right. And so I just document all the different UI pieces that we need and then show them in context. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm used to doing like live online style guides. But for this, it's, you know, an Android app. And so I'm doing it on a GitHub wiki. Mm -hmm. And I just, every time the developer's like, I need this, I'm like, it's right there. It's, oh. on, it's on the wiki. <laughs> so it's like a, a yeah. pattern gallery. Yeah, you know, it's like, like, a, it like all the different little things you need. Like, here it is. And I even for the web, I feel like that's a big thing people are moving towards because it's less about these static sizes, right. especially with how, like, now even laptops are going retina. Everything right. just needs to be... Yeah. Yeah, responsive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like uh, Apple's uh, beat everyone to the punch, you know, pretty much with Retina. And just, yeah. But now, like, uh, next year, like, Intel and uh, other manufacturers are going to come out with Retina laptops. Right. So it's going to be, like, this crazy, crazy world. So with, with like, yeah. lots of blurry websites and, and apps. Yeah, and to do all those individual comps would be a nightmare. So it's, right. like, just think about things in pieces instead. And <laughs> So as it relates to, like, web, too, like, have, have, have you changed your approach to be more... I guess vector based or a lot more looser with, well, with the graphics I, that you make there. Or, yeah, I or, avoid Photoshop unless I need it, like maybe for textures or something. And, and how but, crazy is that, that? That you say that loud? Like, like I avoid Photoshop now. Yeah, like, I I used to do everything in Photoshop, and yeah. but CSS has become so like 
powerful that a lot of the things I need to do, I can just do in CSS and it's all going to be scalable. Um, so yeah, like the images thing is still like a pain in the butt. So you just rely on CSS to get you through? Or yeah, in both? fact, most of my comping these days are just in CSS. Right. And I, I like to do the whole like um, start like content base and then kind of move upwards towards more fuller layouts for the larger screens. And oftentimes when I'm designing things, I have little iframes set up at different sizes. And I know that's not an accurate depiction, yeah. but it kind of helps you get a sense of, you know, what you're doing. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, is, has anyone else started design for Retina screens yet here in the audience? Or? One person. Oh, Berman Painter, <laughs> who's on Team SAS. <laughs> So yeah, but yeah. I think it's it's gonna be a big challenge down the road because yeah, uh, yeah, because I'll talk about more about this tomorrow. But it's just it just I feel like it's a thing I'm passionate about and mm-hmm. and it's um and I just think that we needed uh, a new image format just to deal with this because it's yeah. like just to save variations of the image images like it just it doesn't seem like it's gonna be yeah it's, it seems like, like so something we can automate Photoshop to do more than have designers enter a manual pad process to like make multiple versions of the same image. Right. But, yeah. the, the other thing that gets a little frustrating for me is like I'm really into baseline grids yeah. and you have all these different image sizes to deal with. A lot of times those baselines will break right. and it's just like, ah, <laughs> why? Yeah, and then that brings up a whole thing like uh, you have your the screen is totally different. You right. don't know it's right now or whatever. And then you have layout, the, the actual browser width, you know, so you don't know. So, yeah. so, so you notice a lot of response websites just have like generous helpings of white space. Yeah. You know, it's just <laughs> like, hey, there's a mountain of white space here. We don't know if we're going to scale it down. Or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it's, so it's interesting. I think so. Um, so do you guys use PhoneGap at all or you just go, go straight native? Um, so for, uh, we're doing a straight native Android app and okay. a straight native iPhone app. Okay. Um, and then for web stuff, the web app isn't responsive yet, but our, our website is responsive. Okay. So. Okay. Cool. So, um, so phone gap for people who don't know is just like the, mm-hmm. you, you build a web, you build like a, a web web technologies right. your, as your layer, and then you just send it to phone gap, and then out comes out baby yeah. iOS apps and baby uh, Android apps. And yeah, we had some discussion on if that was the way we wanted to go, but I think everyone just kind of wanted like straight native. Right. <laughs> and, and I mean, you you can tell a little the difference depending yeah. on how much love went into a phone gap app or like you know whether it okay, you and see how how great it is or not. So, but you can tell. So, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, I want to get into a little side projects though. If, okay. If, uh, like, um, how many do you do many side projects at all? Or yeah, sorry? yeah, I have some side projects. Uh, <laughs> some well, abandoned side <laughs> projects. <laughs> what uh, I, well, I want to talk I want to talk about all of them actually sure. because. Uh, um, Art in my coffee. Yeah. What is art in my coffee? So art in my coffee is exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> it's, it's just a curated. Um, right now, it's a Tumblr of uh, coffee art images submitted by people. Um, it started out as a personal photo blog because I like coffee art, and in San Francisco, there's a lot of places that do coffee art. And, and coffee art is just um, generally, it's usually just um, designs done with the way they pour the foam. Okay. Some baristas get a little more um, creative and do things with syrup or, or even sugar, like the way they pour the sugar. Um, 
they just do all sorts of different little designs or maybe um, even I've seen it done with like green teas and, and hot chocolates and stuff. So, um, yeah, so I was kind of collecting photos of these things and then people... And by collecting, you just taking a photo of, of your food? Yeah, because it, it's temporary art. You're going to yeah. devour it. So it's <laughs> so nice to get a little picture of it first. And so then people started submitting uh, photos. So Tumblr had just come out with the community features back then. Okay. Um, like the submission queue, um, which was awesome. So it kind of made it a lot less manual for me to okay. take these photos and post it. So it's pretty cool. Um, I, I, I bet it would be kind of invasive to like take other people, photos of other people's coffee before they drink it. It's like, hey, we, we for you. Yeah. <laughs> like, complete strangers like, hey. Yeah, and actually a lot of baristas have come to like it because they, they kind of like taking pictures of their own yeah. art they make and submit it and then uh, tweet, we got featured. <laughs> but we're actually, I have a, um, a couple friends from, I used to work at Engine Yard mm -hmm. and uh, they used to work at Engine Yard and they started their new development firm called Thunderbolt Labs and they were looking for a project to work on and so we decided to collaborate, and we're going to do an iPhone app oh, wow. for Art My Coffee. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, we're all busy, so it's a slow... It sounds like a great thesis project to me. Yeah, I, cons <laughs> I considered it, but, you know, the sushi thing is my thesis project. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's moving a little slowly because, you know, we all have projects to work on and stuff, but eventually it'll be out. <laughs> okay. So, but the site's still, you still... Yeah, process, like the, the submissions have slowed down a little bit because mm. I haven't really been promoting it. Mm. But yeah, it's still up, it's still going. And so, it's, uh, what's the address for that for people? Artinmycoffee.com. <laughs> and then also, like I mentioned, like research for uh, this this interview, that you, you did past, uh, you were thinking about doing art in my coffee coffee book. Yeah, so, so. that's something I'm interested in doing. Um, I. You know, I get a lot of really awesome, interesting images that aren't your typical Rosetta leaves and hearts, but like faces and kitty cats and all sorts of crazy things. And I think it would be cool to kind of put all those together into a coffee table book. Yeah. You know, it kind of works, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, if you design it like really nice and um, maybe you could see it like in a coffee shop or something, yeah. like, that would be really cool. Um so, I don't know, one of these days, <laughs> I'll get around to it. Well, yeah, sounds like a great <laughs> yeah. uh, side project. So, what other side projects have you Um, So, I have a lot of tumblers. <laughs> um, the only other one that I guess is worth mentioning just because um, it's funny. Uh, I follow a lot of fashion blogs, and I notice that um, a lot of indie kids like to post these pictures of themselves wearing their indie fashion clothes. And they're always posed with their feet crossed and looking forlorn. And they all look like they have to pee. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> I created this Tumblr called Hipsters Have to Pee. And it actually got like, for, I, I, ha I kept it anonymous for a while. I didn't let anyone know it was mine. And I started getting like press inquiries about it. And now it's getting weird. People are posting obvious poses of themselves. Like It's like, it, it can't be where you're just like looking like you want to... It, it just—it's okay. You can say it. We're all friends here. Yeah, I just—I so. people are just trying to be on the blog now, right. and I'm—it's not the same. So I haven't really put a lot of attention into it, but um, yeah, it's pretty funny. I—I I was in Norway, and I overheard somebody talking about it, so, so that got me pretty excited. 
Well, I think the great book like that is there's everybody poops and then you just put like, <laughs> that right next to it. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a classic. I think it's just a lot. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are pretty much my main ideas like that I've been kind of been doing. I've had a couple projects here or there, but those are the ones that have stuck around. So. Okay. Uh, well, I'm interested in the other ideas too. Like, I'm Well, I, I have um, an hardly ever updated robot blog. Um, just called I Want Robots because <laughs> I used to collect robots, but I had to stop collecting robots because I have too many robots. Oh. <laughs> um, let me see. I, I was going to work on a style guide generator, but now everybody's making a style guide generator, so I'm just going to find the one I like and use that. What's a, what's a, what is a style guide generator? Uh, well, the idea was um, just letting your CSS generate a style guide because it can be tedious work mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, but now there's like three or four of them out there. So, so, so is this the idea like you already, you've already built the website? You yeah. Just, you just throw your CSS over and it's like, okay, here we go. Well, yeah, like the idea is it should just look at your comments and the way you've formatted your CSS and generate the documentation. Um, and it could also show, <laughs> it could also show like the UI element. Like maybe if you have a, a button with a class of uh, submit or whatever, mm -hmm. it would show right. what that looks like. So um, no longer going to work on that because <laughs> other people are doing it. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's little, I've had some other ideas, but I can't think of them right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just fascinated. Yeah, cause like, I get, like, uh, like Ari will tell you, like, I have too many ideas. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just fascinated with ideas that, you, you, that people are passionate about that you actually work on. And then also, why didn't these ideas take off or whatnot? Right. You know, so it's always, always interesting. So, <laughs> Um, anyone have any questions for, for Gina? Yes. What's your name and what's your name? JD. JD? As a UX designer, uh, where do you feel that going? And what do you think? Well, see, this is the thing about the operating space. <laughs> right? Like, we have, like a, we have a thing about uh, the future questions. Like we we don't ask future questions <laughs> at Not Forget Space TV uh, because you can kill fifteen minutes yeah. in an interview with asking about future or stuff like that. So, but since we're doing this live, and, you know, yeah, now we have to answer it. Yeah, now we have to answer. It. So, so if you want to answer the future question, um, us, well, okay, but normally first, we wouldn't do this, JD. Yeah, this is for you. All right. Yeah, so, I right. the thing I'm interested in, and this is probably not really truly answering the question, but. Sustain this is great, yeah. I don't like the question anyway. Sustainability, <laughs> I think. Like, I mean, you could talk about. <laughs> I mean, you could talk about like new devices and platforms and technologies and all that, but those are always going to be changing. So it's not yeah. really. You never know what's going to happen. But the thing I'm noticing that's rising up and that I think is going to be um, even more so the case is sustainability. Sustainability? Um, yeah. In terms of. Just. Food products, you know, people are trying to move towards more eco-friendly mm -hmm. products. Um, my sushi app actually focuses on sustainable sushi, okay. um, which is a movement I've been interested in because if we keep eating sushi at the rate we're eating sushi, it's going to run out. Okay. Um, so just like, like tomorrow, or is it? Uh... <laughs> well, bluefin tuna is like pretty much almost extinct. Okay. So. For certain species, okay. yeah, possibly tomorrow. <laughs> I, I apologize for the question because I'm yeah. a sushi No, it's, so, yeah, uh, it's, I, I love sushi and I'd love to continue eating sushi, <laughs> so I want to do it in a smart, like, sustainable way. Right. 
Um, and I think a lot of things are, like if you look at a lot of the Kickstarter projects that are coming out, like there's a lot of emphasis on, on sustainable, um, you know, like maybe how much energy is being used or um, at least in San Francisco, everything's about, you know, sustainable and green food and right. restaurants are trying to be healthier and more so sustainable, focused. like eco-friendly. Type yeah, of, type of yeah. So, and I think that's if if we can manage to get there, like that'd be really exciting. Right. It, it needs to happen. <laughs> All right. yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, anyone else have any questions? I will promise to like your question. Uh, <laughs> no. Okay. <I'm>, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just braid everyone here. By the way, as well. uh, is a question up there? What, what's your name and what's your question? Uh, so, so, so Daisy, is your question like? Because is is web design affecting where where you live? Basically? Not necessarily web design, but like where um, the technology is coming from. Uh, so, like, so the question I for my when when gathering it's is just more natural that the environment there that the people are always looking. So basically, like in San Francisco, it seems more practical to think about sustainability than in other locations and stuff like you know around the world or whatever. So about right. web design and how you approach that stuff like is that. Yeah, I, I, so, you know, I, I wasn't always in San Francisco. I was, um, I'm from Tennessee, and the idea of recycling is, is a thing people care about in Memphis and in Nashville. I lived in both Memphis and Nashville. Um, but San Francisco is definitely more um, interested in that. Like, it's actually the law you have to compost. You can actually get in trouble if you don't. <laughs> um, it, but they, I, they don't really enforce it that heavily, but it is a thing. Um, plastic bags are banned. Um, if you go grocery shopping, you're not going to get a plastic bag. You're going to either buy a cloth bag or get a paper bag. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if down the road even paper bags might. And I'm not sure. Unless I guess obviously they're using recycled stuff. But when it comes to the, the um, actual like industry, um, I don't think it's like limited to San Francisco, but it definitely helps. Um, you know, just all the different startups that are coming out. It's so weird. Um, you know, when I lived in Memphis, I thought it was cool that I knew someone that, you know, worked at FedEx, you know, like that to me was like cool. And then I moved to San Francisco and everyone, everybody, every, well, everybody's there. It's yeah. like, yeah. Apple and PayPal and Google and all these different companies, but then those are the big companies. Yeah. And you've got like all these small companies and some of them are becoming big companies, like even Square started out really small. Um, and I think because like a lot of young people are becoming business owners and entrepreneurs, right. they're more interested in, you know, social and, and uh, eco issues yeah. that that's just, that's going to be a thing coming out of, the city, but I think it's, I don't think it's limited to there. I think I see it kind of spreading. Right. So. Yeah. And, it, and the power of the web is leverages, like one person can do so much with the, with the web and if you have the right skill sets. And so right. it doesn't take that many people. So you don't have to convince a whole organization to change. So yeah. you see it definitely coming from, from the foundation up. So yeah. Uh, one more question. If, if there is one from the audience, like up there. Hi, I'm Holly. Um. So Holly asked the age old question of, you seem like you're busy. How do you manage your, your schedule? Is that, um, is that right? Okay. Uh, I use do. <laughs> Product placement. <laughs> I also drink whiskey. <laughs> 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 no, I, I, I'm, I'm 
very, I'm very stressed a lot, um, admittedly. I, it's when I drink whiskey and I do a to-do list, it doesn't really, I don't know yeah. very well. No, that's usually like after a full day <laughs> okay. of getting things done. Okay. <laughs> but now I, um, I, I go through phases of time where I realize I've taken on too much mm-hmm. and I have to sometimes let one thing suffer to let the other things complete, get right. completed. Um, I've definitely struggled with that. It's not something I have down pat, right. and I constantly struggle with it. But the thing is, like, I just have all these things I want to do, mm-hmm. and so I try my best to make time for it. Um, yeah, I, I can't honestly give you a good answer on that because I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> yeah, and I also think time management is a personal thing, too. It's yeah, like, I'm, it's, it's funny that I'm working at a company that cares about time management and working together because I'm terrible at that stuff. Right. <laughs> But, yeah. Yeah, it's like um, Merlin Mann, who is like 43 folders. Right. He's like, he's not the best person for running. <laughs> so, like, first yeah. of all, he's a great guy. I love him. Like, he, he actually came from Tallahassee, by the way. Yeah. Tallahassee I think it's awesome. funny. Like, imagine how much work we would get done yeah. if we would stop making productivity apps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I, I love working at Duke. So. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, uh, so the question we always ask um, at the end is, sure. uh, what are you most passionate about now? Either like, like the web, mobile, like. Um, I'm getting really into mobile, and I I've always been interested in mobile, but right now um, I'm really enjoying it. But I also really enjoy building things too, and so that's kind of the struggle I have right now. Is I want I I can't really build mobile apps, I can design them. Mm-hmm. So I want to try to find the time <laughs> to, to learn some of that stuff. But I like mobile. I, I didn't think I would ever say this, but I'm actually really enjoying working on the Android app. Yeah. My dad would be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> if he found that out. But no, it's fun because they have different constraints. And yeah. So it's interesting. I like it. So you just like designing for the Android and that's awesome. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah, I really like... The Android app, the first one, the first device I love is the uh, Nexus Seven. I'm not sure if you played around with the Nexus Seven. I haven't. 7. No. Yeah, it's like the best Android thing I've ever ever seen. So, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so thank you so much for uh, being with us. But uh, how can people find you on the web on to follow up with any um, questions? Yeah, well, my Twitter is just my first name, Gina. Mm-hmm. Um, my it's spelled with a J, and uh, my website is sushiandrobots.com, but it's you know, there's not much up there right now. Yeah, so. um, yeah, mostly, I think most of my, I guess, online presence is Twitter. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks thanks uh, to Gene, the Converge Solar crew, and volunteers for making this possible. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks, thanks, everyone, for coming out. Um, uh, if, you, if you would, uh, just please, uh, you know, find us up on uh, nonbreakingspace.tv. Uh, you can just raise up on iTunes and uh, also on Facebook, also on Twitters. Um, thanks to Gina Bolton for being with us today. Thanks for awesome. having me. <laughs> and I uh, hope you guys see you uh, see you guys at the next show. Thank you.